So grab your, your Bible, if you have it with you, and uh, turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, today we are uh, concluding this chapter, chapter 4, and specifically today we're going to be continuing this theme that, that Paul has been developing for Timothy about faithfulness. And so last week we talked about what faithfulness looked like for Timothy. And today we're going to be looking at faithfulness and actually carrying out his duty as a minister in this church. And so again, if you have your, your Bible, this is the book of 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, and then I'll begin reading in verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourselves and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we trust that the preaching of your word is powerful, both to save the minister and those who hear. And so we pray that today you would work salvation through this time in the word, that we would see your word as, a, as authoritative and powerful for our lives. And we pray that you would use it to change us. And so we pray in, in Jesus' name, amen. So I imagine that if you are a follower of Christ, then you desire to be faithful to the Lord in your life, in your calling, and the things that you do. And as I said, that's what Paul is dealing with here for Timothy. He wants Timothy to be a faithful minister, and he's telling him how to be a faithful minister of the gospel in the city of Ephesus. And so, especially for me as a pastor, this is a very relevant passage because it's marching orders from the Apostle Paul for a minister of the gospel. But then you say, well, then is this relevant for you if you are not a minister of the gospel within the church? And, and I believe that it is because what Paul here is showing is what faithfulness looks like for Timothy as a pastor but I think that this also shows a, a pattern of faithfulness for your life, for my life. This shows us what it looks like to be faithful Christians, just broadly. And we see that summarized actually in verse 16. You say, what does it look like to be a faithful believer in Christ? Verse 16, Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching." And so you can see those two parts. He's saying on the, on the one hand, keep a close watch on yourself. On the other hand, keep a close watch on 
the teaching. And that really summarizes what Paul is saying in this whole passage, even in the, the preceding context. It's kind of a summary of this text. And so we're going to look at that first part, and then we'll look at the second part. So first, keep a close watch on yourself. That's what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Christ. Look back at verse 12 in your Bible. Paul tells Timothy, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And so apparently Timothy was facing a form of age discrimination within the church. And in this case, it was the older people who were despising him for his youth. And scholars speculate about how old Timothy was. Uh, if he was a teenager when he met Paul initially and was discipled by, by Paul, he was probably, they say, between the age of 28 and 35 when Paul is writing to him. So he's a, he's a young man, and he lived in a culture where age was actually prized above youth, where there was this sense of you, you earned the right to speak, you earned the right to be taken seriously, and that with age and with gray hair comes wisdom, comes the, the, the right to speak, the, the, the authority to be observed and to be listened to. And so in that way, though we still face age discrimination in our culture, it, it goes the opposite direction, I think, in our culture quite often, where if their culture tended to respect age and gray hair, our culture tends to make an idol of youth. And, and that our culture will so often think that the people who have the most to offer are the younger people. And, and so if you think of workplace discrimination, uh, when it's based on the age, it's most often older people who are being discriminated against for their age, even though they're perfectly capable, perfectly able to fulfill the, the job that they're being asked to do. But people despise them for their age, don't respect them because of their age. So again, it can go look different in different cultures, but that's what Timothy was facing, where, where people were not respecting him as a pastor within the church because of his young age. And so then the question is, how is he to respond to that age discrimination that he was facing? How is he to be faithful as a Christian in the face of that? And that's where Paul tells him to keep a close watch on himself. And really to keep a close watch on himself by setting an example for the believers. To set an example. And I, and I think that it's a helpful the way that Paul is instructing Timothy here. Um, if you've ever read any productivity literature, you may know that the difference between the, the circle of concern versus the circle of influence. And and the circle of concern is anything that you care about. And for most people, the circle of concern is bigger than actually the circle of influence, where you may be concerned about something going on in North Korea, but yet you can't really influence that yourself. But then there are things in our life that are both we're concerned about and we have the ability to affect and the ability to influence. And quite often they say that it's, it, it's better as much as possible to focus on the, the circle of influence. Where can you actually make a difference rather than spending a lot of time in things that you cannot actually control? 
And I think that that principle is actually helpful for understanding what Paul is saying here. That yes, it was a concern that people were despising him for his youth. And he could have reacted by being angry or being resentful or trying to force people to respect him or trying to use certain titles and trying to enforce the use of certain titles. But that would really be, again, the, this circle of concern, not of influence, where what Paul is saying is, is focus on the kind of example you are for those around you. Set an example for the believers. That's something that he's actually able to do. That's part of his, his circle of influence, that he can be a faithful witness and a faithful example. And I think that that's a helpful pattern for us as well when, when we face any kind of discrimination, whether age or anything else, something that we can't control, can't control the reaction of others to us, that the idea of responding gently and kindly and responding in a way that we're seeking to set an example that's a good example, I think, for us as well. But then it says that he's to set an example in different ways. And Paul outlines how he's to set an example. So the first thing is that he wants Timothy to be an example in speech. In speech. And that's what we're called to be as well. We're called to be examples to the people around us in our speech. Of course, we know from the Bible how important speech is, how serious the use of language is, how dangerous speech is. You can think of James chapter 3 where it says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. I mean, that's James' picture of the danger of the tongue. And so that's why it's also so important to set an example in the way we use our language. You can think of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, that when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Or Proverbs 17, verse 27 Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Or you can think of the wisdom of Titus 3.2, that we should speak evil to no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Or you can think of the, the wisdom of Ephesians 4.15, that rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And so that's the, the pattern then of setting an example in the way we use our words and this pattern of, of speech, keeping a watch on ourselves and our use of language. And so for you, that could mean speaking less. It could mean speaking more. It could mean using your words to encourage for some, it may even use, be using words to speak truth when that's hard, when it's speaking the truth in love, but saying something that is difficult to say. It can take different forms depending on your own struggles, your own personality, how God has wired you. But for all of us, we can be asking the question, what does it look like to keep watch on ourselves by setting this example in speech? But then we're also, according to Paul, to keep a watch on ourselves by 
setting our example in conduct. And you'll, you'll see that, that Paul says to set the example in speech, in conduct. And that's because we are people who should use our words wisely, but also people who aren't just about talk and words only. Uh, again, going back to James chapter 2, verse 15, he says that if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Or in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, uh, John says this, that if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so you can see there the, this pattern from John flowing out of the teaching of Jesus that that the example that we set shouldn't be word only. It's, our words are important, but, our, but it should be both word and deed, concrete action. And so then we all face the question, what does that look like? And this is another place where it can be different for different people. But what does it look like to set an example in our deeds, in our conduct? It could be the way we care for our friends or our families or our neighbors or the way we support others or provide material support for people who are in need. There's lots of forms it could take, but it's, it's this motivation of action set as an example to others. And then finally, Paul rounds out what this example looks like, where he says it was in speech, it was in conduct, but then he, he says that it's also in love, faith, and purity. That's the kind of example Timothy was to set to people who were essentially discriminating against him because of his age. And so we can be asking that of ourselves, this keeping a close watch on ourselves, that are we setting an example of love? Would people look at us and say, I think that's what love looks like? Or would people look at us and say, I think that's what faith looks like, or I think that's what purity looks like? And it's not that Paul is telling Timothy to be completely perfect in this life. We are to strive for perfection, but we know that complete perfection is unattainable in this life. We're, we're never going to set a perfect example for the people around us. We're never going to be perfect in love or faith or purity in this life. But yet, even in those places that we set an example in repentance, in being the first to say that we're sorry, the first to admit fault, the first to to turn to others, admitting when we are in the wrong. So we're setting this, this full orb example of word and speech and love and purity and conduct flowing out as this example and something that actually does impact those who may despise us in different ways to continue to set a good example. And this is really what it looks like to set, to keep a close watch on yourself. Verse 16, Paul says, keep a close watch on your self. And that's the, the first part, the way that we seek to be faithful as Christians, keeping a watch on ourselves, setting an example. But then Paul, on the other hand, says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. And so look back in your Bible at verse 13. Verse 13, he says to Timothy, until I come, 
devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So as Timothy is seeking to be a, a faithful minister, Paul says, I want you to keep close watch on the teaching, and I want you to devote yourself to the reading. In, in our translation, it says to the public reading of scripture. Now, in the original language, there it actually just says, devote yourself to the teaching. And that most English translations supply the word public and the word of scripture as helping us kind of understand what is being said. And that, that's not a, a wrong way to, to translate it, uh, because when, when he says to devote yourself, to dedicate yourself to the reading, he's not talking about just the reading of a good novel on a rainy day. But in the context, he is clearly talking about the reading of Scripture. And we know that within synagogue worship of the, the Jews of the time, that the public reading of Scripture had an important place. We know from early church liturgies that the, the public reading of Scripture and the worship service of the church was important. And we see that I mean, even in our own worship service today. We've had readings from Scripture for confession of sin and for assurance of pardon, reading from the Psalms. And even before I preach, I read the passage that there is this important place for the, the reading of the Bible among believers. And that's why Paul is saying, devote yourself to the reading. Now, it sometimes people debate also how much people were able to read at the time. Uh, and according to a lot of historical evidence, there was actually a pretty high literacy rate, especially among Jews of the time, that most, at least Jewish men, were taught to read. You think of so many of the authors of the New Testament were fishermen. They were ordinary people, but yet they could clearly read and write uh, because they would learn that within their education to read the Torah, to, to read the scriptures. Uh, even in Greco-Roman society, there was fairly widespread literacy compared to some places and times in history. And even people had some access to their own personal copies of the scriptures. Uh, you could get, at the time, hand-copied versions of the Old Testament uh, in Greek, particularly the Septuagint. So you can think in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 28, where the Ethiopian eunuch is on his chariot and he's reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And apparently most often people would read out loud even when they were by themselves. And so that's why when the disciples come by, they, they hear him reading and he's trying to understand. And so they're able to stop and have a conversation about the scriptures. And so people had some access to the scriptures, but especially when it came to the New Testament writings, it was a little bit different because at the time of the writing of 1 Timothy, most of the New Testament actually had been written. Some, a few books had not been written, 2 Timothy, a few others, the book of Revelation. Uh, there's debate about where you date different books. But what was happening at the time of the writing of 1 Timothy is that these these letters were being written, these gospels were being written, and that they were distributed among local churches. And so a church might receive a letter. So this is the church of Ephesus. We know that they received Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And so they had a letter of Paul that was authoritative scripture, and that they would then copy those and distribute them to other churches of the time. And so a church might have certain writings of the New Testament, but maybe not all of the writings yet that were even available 
at that time. And so this really draws out what Paul is getting at here for Timothy as well. So yes, he's to be dedicating himself to the reading of scripture, I believe even privately. That's why I'm not too happy of supplying the word publicly. I can see why they add that in in the translations. Uh, but I also think that he was probably just to read the scriptures himself, to know them, to be able to teach them. But also there's this sense that, that if a lot of people in your church either don't have the money to own a hand-copied version of the entire Old Testament and what's available of the New Testament, how are people going to know the scriptures? How are they going to be built up in the word? And it's through reading of the Bible together. So there was an important place in early worship for the reading of scripture because that's how people would learn the Bible. That's how they would familiarize themselves with the scriptures. And so that's why he says, dedicate yourself to the reading. And though we can see the application of this for a pastor, that I should dedicate myself to the reading of scripture, I think that you can see the relevancy of this for your life as well. That to be faithful is to dedicate ourselves to the teaching of scripture by reading the Bible. It could be personal Bible reading. It could be family Bible reading or uh, reading the Bible with a, a neighbor or reading the Bible in church or being at a church where you hear the Bible read publicly, that this is important for us if we're to grow and to know the Lord. So there's this dedicating ourselves to the reading of Scripture. But then Paul adds something else. He says, dedicate yourself, devote yourself to the reading. And the next he says, to the exhortation. And in this context, the, the, the word means an act of emboldening another to belief or course of action. And so he's saying that, yes, you're reading the Bible, but then you're also exhorting people from the Bible, that you are, you're taking the scriptures that are read, and, and you're not just trying to give people information, but you're trying to work transformation. You're trying to have people find motivation from the scriptures to be able to actually live them out and apply them to their daily lives. And this is part of what, what faithful preaching is as well. That's, that's part of my role as a pastor is to read the Bible, but then also to exhort you from the Bible, which doesn't always involve me telling you something that you don't know, uh, that many in the church know a lot about the Bible. It's not new information, but yet trying to bring the scriptures to bear to say, what does this actually mean practically for our lives? How does this impact the way we live? This is the exhortation that he was called to devote himself to as a faithful pastor. So that's a model for me as a pastor. But that's also, I think, a model for you in terms of what you should seek out as a believer. Knowing, yes, I need to read the Bible, but I also need to be exhorted. I need to, to sit under teaching that is actually applying the word, bringing it to bear in my life in practical ways, this act of emboldening me to belief or to action, that we need that. We need that motivation in the word. And so again, Paul was to uh, telling Timothy to devote himself to reading, to exhortation. But then finally he says to the teaching. And this is keeping a close watch on the teaching. So there, he's reading the Bible publicly, Presumably, he's also then exhorting people from the Bible. He's applying it. But then he's also 
teaching, he's explaining the meaning of the text. He's helping people understand what it's saying, what it means. And I think that that's just a really great picture of what biblical preaching should involve, that it should involve the reading of the text. It should involve teaching where we're trying to understand how it fits into the Bible as a whole. How does it fit into theology? How do we interpret scripture against scripture? We need teaching. But then we also need not only the information of teaching, but the transformation of exhortation. And I think that this is sometimes where different traditions, even within Christianity, can have certain emphases or can even get unbalanced in different ways. At our uh, presbytery, our, our gathering of pastors in our denomination, uh, at our last meeting, we had a panel about uh, racial diversity within the church and, and, and seeking to have representation of people from different cultures within the church. Uh, and they had a, a panel, and one of the people on the panel was an African, African-American elder in our denomination. And he was pointing out how stereotypically in the African-American community, but also I would say in the charismatic community, uh, preaching has a stronger emphasis on the exhortation side, on the, 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 the preaching as, as motivating people to action, inspiring people to action, and that on your conservative, reformed side, there's generally been a stronger emphasis on the, the teaching aspect, the, the explaining of the word, the bringing in the doctrine of trying to really understand what the scripture is saying. And, and part of what he was drawing out that I thought was a, a really good point is that, that we actually ideally need both. And that individual teachers probably are stronger in one of those emphases, and that's okay. And even churches might tend uh, to have their, their, their preaching be more on the exhortation side or on the teaching side. But really, within the life of the church, we need both, that we need both the motivation, the application, but we also need the teaching, the understanding of what the scripture is saying, and that when those come together and we get both, that it's a really powerful place for growing as believers because we're, we're understanding it and seeking to live that out in faithfulness. And I think that that is helpful even for those who would be looking for a church to be able to evaluate, is this a church that values the public reading of Scripture? Is this a church that values exhortation and actually seeking to be motivated to live and obey the Scriptures and to live them out in our daily lives? And is this a church that is dedicated to teaching and understanding? It's a helpful kind of rubric for thinking about the, the health of a local church. And so again, this is keeping a watch on yourself, setting an example, but then also keeping an eye on the teaching as well, this way that we are faithful to the Lord. But then as we finish up together today, let's look very briefly at why all of this matters. That we're saying we're, we're keeping a watch on ourselves, we're keeping a watch on the teaching, but why does that matter? And that's what we see here at the very end of our text. So look again at verse 16 in your Bible. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. And for me, when I first read that, it makes me slightly uncomfortable. Um, it's the kind of thing that that 
depending, we don't want to put ourselves in the position of trying to correct the language of the Bible, but I could imagine somebody using that language in a Bible study and, and somebody saying, saying, well, wait a second, you're not the one who's saving your hearers. God is the only one who saves. And wait a second, you're not the one who saves yourself. God is the one who who saves. And God's going to do what God's going to do. So, and, and whether you're persisting in this or not, God's going to accomplish salvation. So how 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 do we understand where he says, by so you doing, you you will save both yourselves and your hearers? What is he getting at here? And I think that that what what he's showing us is that yes when we read the bible god is sovereign in salvation that salvation is 100 percent of the lord that we don't contribute our own works or our own effort to salvation that we're saved completely and utterly by grace through faith in christ and that that it's not our own effort not our own goodness that that saves us but yet as god is bringing the salvation to bear in the lives of people, he's not afraid to use means to do that. This is what what John Calvin says in his commentary on this text. He says, true, it is God alone that saves. And even the smallest portion of his glory, or sorry, not even the smallest portion of his glory can lawfully be stowed on men. But God parts with no portion of his glory when he employs the agency of men for bestowing salvation. And so you can see what he's saying is, yes, salvation is of the Lord, but yet God uses the agency of men to carry out that work. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 10, where he says that whoever confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord will be saved. Then he also says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That's why in Romans 10, 14, he says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so you can see there Paul saying, yes, it's salvation is of the Lord, but it's going to Come, the way that people will hear the gospel, that's the power of God for salvation, is through preaching, through proclamation of the word. And so, so you need the, the word going out to be the power of God in lives and hearts. And that's the principle that Paul is saying here, that, that it matters that we keep a close eye on ourselves, that we keep watch on ourselves and on the, the teaching, because the teaching matters, because if if Timothy, as a faithful minister of the gospel, preaches the gospel, it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so that means it is the power of God for salvation, even for Timothy as he is preaching it. That for me, when I preach the gospel, it is the, the gospel that I'm proclaiming that is the means of my own salvation, that, that, that I can know the Lord. And even for the hearers, that that the power of God for salvation, according to Romans 1, is the gospel. And so as that gospel goes forth, it can save the hearers. And so it's not salvation by works, but this is salvation through the living and active word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. 
So then with that in mind, we can see that there's both an, a warning and a promise here in this, this last verse. Because the, the warning is what happens if you don't speak. And, and this draws on the book of Ezekiel chapter 33 where God is speaking to the prophet and he says, If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. And so he's telling the prophet, watch out, because if I say that their judgment is going to come on the wicked, and you fail to warn the wicked, it's not then that I will excuse the person who faces judgment. They will still be responsible for their sin. But yet I'm also going to hold you responsible for failing to speak, that there is a warning. But then in the next verse, he lays out the promise that, but if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity but you will have delivered your soul. So, and again, that, that if even if you proclaim the word, the word of salvation, and people don't turn, that he's saying that, that you're, you're innocent, you, that you've proclaimed the, the gospel faithfully. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul talks about in Acts 18, verse 6, where he was preaching the gospel and he was rejected. And it says that when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, you, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. For now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so you see Paul saying, I'm innocent. Your, your blood is on your own head. That, that I've, I faithfully proclaimed the gospel. And so I essentially, I've, I've been faithful to the calling that God has given me in proclaiming the gospel. So that's, again, the principle here that why do these things matter? Why does the teaching matter? Why does the example matter? And it's ultimately because as the gospel is going forth, it is what can change both the person preaching and the person listening. And therefore, the, the stakes couldn't be higher, that, that there is so much at stake for, for me right now preaching to you that, that my own soul in a real way is at stake, which is why it says not many should be teachers because they will be judged with greater strictness, that it's a serious thing to preach the gospel. But then also what's happening right now is, is serious for you as well. That it says by so doing, you can save yourself and your hearers. That that, that means that in the proclamation of the gospel and the word that's going forth, that there is held open for Everyone, the, the, the good news of Jesus, that, that he lived and died and rose from the dead and offers us salvation and hope and, and that the call to respond to that by keeping a watch on ourselves and a watch on the teaching. And as we see that, that, that our call then is to respond in, in faith and in repentance, trusting in Jesus, not in ourselves, looking to the gospel that is going forth. And from that position, beginning to ask the question, what does it look like to be Faithful. What does it look like to keep a watch on myself? What does it look like to keep a watch on the teaching that is rooted in Jesus, who is himself the author and the perfecter of our faith? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our Savior, that salvation is of the Lord. And Lord, we are amazed, though, that you would 
and your sovereign purposes decide to use the the words of of men and, and the teaching of the gospel uh, exhortation of the word to the reading of the word to to change sinners hearts by the power of the spirit and so father we pray that even this morning that is the is the word is going forth that you would use it to to save sinners lord and that's where all of us our starting place for all of us is that we are sinners desperately in need of your grace and that you came to seek and to save the lost lord we are lost by nature we need you to save us but lord as those who have experienced your salvation uh, let us keep that close watch on ourselves give us the the wisdom to set an example for others to set that example in, in conduct and word and and love and faith and purity and father let us also be a church let us be individuals that read the word together and exhort the word together and teach the word together and father we ask that you would use that to, to build us up use that to save both the one teaching and the one hearing and that you would be glorified among us so we pray all of this in jesus name